How is it you haven't seen the god yet? Have you seen Taxi Hello and welcome to another episode of FilmWise, also known as the Why Haven't You Seen This Film Podcast. I'm your host, Bubba Wheat, and I started this podcast there because there are many movies that I haven't seen yet that I probably should have. And today my guest is Lindsay from French Toast Sunday. How are you doing today, Lindsay? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. No problem. Let's, uh, why don't you go ahead and start off by in- introducing yourself and telling everybody where they can find you online. Oh, sure. Um, like you said, my name is Lindsay. The site that I run is FrenchToastSunday.com. And believe it or not, even though it's named after a breakfast food, we do talk about film. Um, it's centered around uh, a podcast that me and a few of uh, my friends, we all are from Baltimore, Maryland. So that's that would be what my accent is. Um, we run it weekly, and it kind of just goes through top three lists and what we watched recently and of course, the site has tons of reviews and lists and what you would expect from a movie blog. But it's a lot of fun. If you're into that sort of thing, please check it out. And um, you can find our podcast there as well. And you can just look under podcasts or it'll probably just be right on the main page. All right. And then I've also got some questions for you to kind of learn more about your movie watching. What's three movies that you've watched the most times and haven't gotten tired of yet? Okay, this is tough, because I guess there's definitely a few more I could have added. A lot of comedies, I think, can fit easily here. But the three that I chose sort of as typical typifies me, I guess. One, the most recent movie, is The Social Network, which kind of sounds weird. But I'm a huge David Fincher fan, and I don't want to say it's his best film, because that's, that's a little steep for me, considering how much I like Fight Club. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I'm a huge, huge fan of the film. It's I'm also a big, I'm really into Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin. So the combination of the two, it just creates this awesome film that I will throw on when I'm working. I'll I'll just watch it over and over again and quote the lines. And I've maybe seen the movie 20 sometimes, and I still can't quote all the dialogue properly because it's just so good and so on point and punchy. Um, but I just love the film. The performances are great. It really kind of like won me over when I first seen it, and it's become a favorite since then. Yeah, that, that's another. That's a movie I, that I've been wanting to see. Like I, I used to be, a, well, I still am a big Fincher fan. But uh, I was like back in the the Fight Club day, I would seek out his new movies like right away. But then at some point, I just kind of fell off and I haven't followed him. Like, I, I haven't seen Zodiac or Social Network. Yeah, he, he's really interesting to me. And I think that um, I would never want to work for him. He seems like he's <laughs> definitely a perfectionist. Um, but I find him so interesting in what he creates and kind of his approach to filmmaking is a lot different than other people. But And I also am like I gravitate towards the subjects he usually kind of portrays in his work as sort of perverse or... Um, you know, like he ta- he he doesn't take very uh, light projects, if you will. So I like that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you would definitely like Social Network. It's a lot of fun. Um, another movie. This would be probably like the King comedy. I think maybe, which is tough to say because there's a lot from when I was younger that I probably could have included on this list as well. But I went with the classic Anchorman, Legend of Ron Burgundy. <laughs> 
It's just I've seen I, I've seen it three times in theaters because I kept wanting to bring other people to go see it. And since then, it's just basically become a staple. And no matter how long like time passes in between when I watch the movie, if it comes on, I'll just instantly be engrossed and laugh like just as hard at all the jokes. And I just love it. I think it's just if there's not something funny being said in the movie, there's something being like something funny being done or like some visual gag. It's just nonstop laughs like from start to finish. Yeah, that that's that, that's another one that I I haven't seen yet. I I, I tend to say that a lot on on this podcast, which <laughs> which is obviously why I started the podcast. No, I mean I think it's a great idea because I feel like that too, and I kind of don't like. Um, I feel like there's a bit of snobbery sometimes that comes along with, especially film fans. Like, what do you mean you haven't seen blank blank blank? But you know, you gotta you gotta get around to it all, right? There's no way you can see everything and all this stuff. So I think this is a cool idea, definitely, to explore what you haven't seen. Like I wish, you know, so I had something like that, so it would force me to like actually put <laughs> stuff in. Because um, I'm always, you know, there's always like so many things on my Netflix queue that I'm avoiding or just like, <laughs> off. Um, yeah, and and, and uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned An- Anchorman too, because I I actually watched Star Trek Into Darkness yesterday and. Me too. <laughs> Anchorman 2 was one of the the trailers yeah. in front of it. <laughs> and I like I was really when they when I heard that they were making it, I was like this doesn't need to happen, but I almost <laughs> don't care because all the like stars are going on um like when they whenever they're doing like press for different movies, they have like their Anchorman facial hair on and I'm just, <laughs> like automatically excited to see it again. I'm like I don't even care if it's a disaster. Um, and my last movie is actually probably, if not the top spot, very close to one of my favorite films of all time, and it's uh, John Hughes' Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is a film I've loved since I've seen it when I was younger. Um, I mean, it was one of the, like the earliest movies I can remember watching on repeat or watching like with the director's commentary when I was younger, which would be odd for me to have done at the time. Um, but it really just made it, there's so much to love in it. I 1980s Matthew Broderick is the best. It's funny, it's heartwarming. It just is to me it's one of John Hughes's best and it kind of combines everything and it's also you want to live, you know, vicariously through Ferris. Everybody wants to be him. Everybody likes him. But it's one of my favorites and uh, I've seen it a million times. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's one that I actually have seen. There you go. Did you like it? Yeah, it's I've I've seen it several times. Um, although there there are a few big uh, John Hughes film, films that I haven't seen, but I've seen most of the big ones. Like I only saw Breakfast Club recently, like yeah. within the past maybe five years. Well, you actually, it's funny because um, there's a uh, one of one of the people that writes for our site, Rob. He's sort of like a newbie into like a lot of the big like cultural hits as well. And he runs like a little column and it's called What's the Deal? Because he said people are always saying like, you know, oh, Breakfast Club is so great or whatever the movie may be. And so he kind of is like, okay, well, what's the deal with the Breakfast Club? And he, you know, will review it. And that's one that he's actually watched pretty recently for the first time. So it's not bizarre to me. (laughs) but um, It's definitely cool. It's cool to be able to discover them like at a different time than maybe some other people did. Yeah. And and it's it's also interesting because sometimes it just doesn't work as well. Yeah. For if if you didn't watch it during the time period or if you're not in the right sort of age bracket. 
Yeah, because a lot of that stuff, you know, has such a big nostalgia thing that hits. With any movie, though, there's a lot of movies that'll um, kind of sit well with you more when you're younger versus when you're older or whatever's going on in your life. And then, um, what's your favorite movie that you've only seen once? Okay, so I was thinking about this, and um, I, if I've sat on it longer, there might be something else that pops up. But since we're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino in this episode, it sparked something that was like, oh, this would be a great one for this list. And that's actually Jackie Brown, which to me is a lot different than than um, most. I wouldn't say it's a lot different, but it's it is different in tone from most of uh, Quentin Tarantino's other works. But I like it a lot. It um, I know that. On repeat viewings, I think I would get even more out of it, and because it's a movie I just kind of watched recently within the last year. But it's really well done. It's a nice departure from some of other um, QT's other stuff, and uh, it's just a good like crime story, good performances. Um, I liked it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Ever seen it at all? No, I. I have not seen very many of Quentin Tarantino's movies. Okay. Yeah, I was actually going to get into that with you later when we talk about the movie at hand, so we'll get into it then. All right. And um, what's your favorite genre of movies? I think if I had to pick, um, if I had to pick like a really base genre, so something that's, you know, like a big encompassing genre, I'd pick horror. Um, I'm a huge horror fan, so... I, I will kind of watch almost anything, like, horror-related. Mm-hmm. It, it could be shit. But, um, if, and then if I had to pick something that maybe, like, a lot of my favorite films sort of drop into, it's kind of, like, it's kind of that, like, comedy drama, I guess you could say. Very, like, specifically things like The Descendants, American Beauty, that sort of thing. But as, if I'm, as a big genre, it's definitely horror. All right, yeah, I... My wife is big into horror, and I've only gotten into horror a little bit more since being with her. Yeah. Uh, it, it was never really a genre I was into much when I was younger. It's a, it, it's an interesting thing for me. Um, I like talking to horror fans, especially because there's a lot of people that, you know, say, oh, I like, I like horror movies, but have a really hard time nailing down exactly what they like. Um, so it's weird, but I don't know. I think it runs in my family. Like my mom is really into horror. My sister's really into horror. So I guess it sort of just rubbed off on me. It's also kind of, I think it's interesting because a lot of the horror sites are into like the bad horror just as much as the good horror. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's, it's, it is very interesting, like psychologically why I'm into it. I don't know. I pick it apart. I used to think back in the day that Hollywood video had, some sort of watch list I was on because I was always picking the weirdest. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, what's your favorite superhero movie? Um, I think I went with this one, and this is re- this is almost easy for me because I guess I haven't seen too many. Like I wouldn't exactly call myself an aficionado. I'm also not really big into comics themselves, so I kind of just solely go, you know, for the like cinema experience and kind of the new boom that's been happening. But I would definitely say up until this point, I think it's Iron Man. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, really dig on the Avengers and things like that, which I did love the Avengers, certainly had no qualms with it. But to me, out of all of the Marvel Universe, or not Marvel Universe, but I should say, I guess, out of all those um, Avengers characters, Tony Stark slash Iron Man has always been my favorite. And the first film, it's just it's just really well put together. Uh, He kind of owns that character Robert Downey Jr. does. 
and becomes just this magnetic, likable entity. And the whole film is really fun. The action's great. The tech is great. Uh, I just love the premise. And again, like I haven't seen too many, but that one, I, I just love, I will watch that whenever it's on. So. Yeah, that that's definitely one of my favorite recent ones. Um, although I think it's kind of interesting that you say that you haven't seen a whole lot because so far you've been the hardest one for me to nail down a, really? <laughs> a superhero movie that you hadn't seen. Yeah, you did like, mention a few to me that I've already seen. So maybe I maybe I've seen more than I let on. I don't know. Because <laughs> yeah, like uh, I think uh, I sent you two lists of three and you had seen all six of those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was. I was like, well, he's just really good at picking movies. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> All right, and uh, finally, what what is your film? Why uh, a film that you haven't seen that you feel like you probably should have? Okay, well, maybe I'll go with the easy one so I don't get made fun of too much. But um, <laughs> I haven't seen The Godfather Part Two, which apparently like means I should revoke my blogging criticy reviewery card. Um, I'm sorry, I wasn't alive in the '70s. Um, <laughs> I just never got around to watching it. I actually, we used to have like a segment on our podcast where it was called You Should Watch This. And we would like basically recommend something for somebody else in the group and they had to watch it. So it was sort of like a good way to force people into watching stuff um, they might not normally watch. And I had to watch The Godfather, which I also will say on that round, I had like three Francis Ford Coppola movies and they were all very long. So it was <laughs> arduous task. But um, I really did like The Godfather a lot, so I do want to watch the second one. I, I don't know why I haven't gotten around to it yet, but that's obviously, like, a huge one that I get shit for all the time. I also haven't seen uh, any of The Godfather movies. All right, there you go. Uh, now, see, a brother in arms. No, <laughs> feel better. All right, well, thank you for sharing. Now let's, let's go ahead and get to today's film-wise. Miramax Films is proud to present one of the most celebrated motion pictures of the year. You better wake up. Night of the fight, you may feel a slight sting. He is their greatest fear and our only hope. And one will try to stop him dead. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Die, you mother... Don't you hate that? Hate what? Uncomfortable silences. Um, and let's go ahead and start with the one that you picked for me first. Why don't you go ahead and introduce it and let everybody know what, what, what movie that is. Okay. Uh, for your pick, I chose one of my favorite films, and that's uh, 1994's Pulp Fiction. There's a lot to be said about this movie. Um, it's the sophomore effort from director Quentin Tarantino. It was a watershed moment for indie cinema, and it became a cultural and a critical hit. Um, as far as awards go, it won the top prize at Cannes, and then it went on to be nominated for seven Oscars. It won one of those, which was Best Screenplay. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Editing, um, Supporting Ask Actor for Samuel L. Jackson, Supporting Actress for Uma Thurman, and the career that many critics and people say uh, it revitalized, it, uh, best actor for John Travolta. Um, it was a huge, huge film for American cinema. It's considered maybe one of the most influ influential American pieces from the 90s and definitely maybe one of the biggest ones for all of American cinema as far as uh, what it changed 
and sort of what it did for cinema after that. And um, it's uh, it's a favorite. It's to me, it's hard not to like. But I'm very interested to hear what you thought of it. Well, um, going into this movie, I I did know uh, a little bit about it. Um, I had seen the like uh, a lot of clips. A lot of handful of clips of it like i i'd seen the the dancing scene of course um that's kind of one of the iconic scenes from the movie mm-hmm. um and i had also seen the uh the brief part where uh phil lamar gets his head blown off in the back of the car mm-hmm. and uh another another scene that i didn't realize was from pulp fiction until i watched it yesterday was in The Simpsons in an early episode, uh, 22 short films about Springfield. Millhouse goes into Herman's shop, and he's the guy with the one arm. And inside his shop is Police Chief Wiggum and Snake, both with ball gags in their mouth. <laughs> you, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry to interrupt, but you really need to talk to Rob from our podcast. Because <laughs> when Rob watches these movies, he's always like, yeah, I instantly recognize the Simpsons reference. <laughs> he always can pull like like the big pop culture films, and then he relates them back to Simpsons episodes. That's awesome. Yeah, I I've seen nearly every Simpsons episode multiple times. I and uh, that that was immediately the first thing that came to my mind whenever I saw that scene. That's great. Um, but it's and then I also knew. Um, about its uh, kind of nonlinear structure, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course the Samuel L. Jackson's biblical quote, which I which I just love to say. I love to like yell that randomly right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I really I did really enjoy this movie. That's good. It's uh, another film that came out uh, about the same time, kind of similar style wise, except also still wildly different whenever you compare them is Kevin Smith's Clerks. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean another huge moment for, you know, indie cinema. And the like really the kind of the connective tissue between the two is the way they do the dialogue. Yes, yes, I will say that. Um because it, in this movie I it's very conversational, but it's like highly literate conversational. Right. Right. Um it, it feels like topics that you would that you would talk about, but it's done in, in a way that you would that nobody really talks like that. But it's it's almost like you wish you could be sort of you you wish you could have that kind of high caliber banter. Right. Yeah. Um. I guess so. A good thing I want to I guess start with is uh, you said you haven't seen a whole lot of Tarantino's work. What act? What have you seen? Like that. Uh, um, well, I've seen both Kill Bills. Okay. And I've seen Grindhouse. Okay. Um, do you have like any sort of like reference to like you know how did did you like those movies? Did you not like those movies? Death Proof I liked, but uh, it's kind of forgettable. Uh, Kill Bill I really loved. Um, I'd like to. I need to get back to that again sometime. That's good to hear. There, I'm a huge Kill Bill fan myself. Um, but I also I also find that that's one of his more divisive works oddly enough um because i think some people think it's too over the top and it's too like 
homage heavy, which um, is a good place to start. Like, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction started a lot of that. Um, like we were talking about the dialogue, um, you know, being really punchy and kind of uh, on point. And it's also, you know, of course, laden with like pop culture references. And uh, of course, like the homages, like with the way the whole film is shot, it's sort of like, you know, Tarantino picks a lot from tons of other films. Um, do you think it's like, as far as art goes, or as far as, you know, your enjoy versus your like enjoyment slash the entertainment of the film, do you think it like helps or detracts? Well, it's hard to, for me to say because I, I didn't really pick out a lot of the homages. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if they're just ones that don't connect to me personally or if I just kind of was oblivious to them. I think some are more obscure. I guess. Or like, you know what I mean? Like maybe if it's not in your wheelhouse, like it's not as easy to pick up on. Personally, I, I kind of think what he does with it is great. And I, I come from the standpoint that uh, what he does is completely unique, even if he is taking from what he loves. Uh, it's just like something that gets brought up a lot with Tarantino. And I think this is like a good film to start because this is one of his biggest yeah, and and I can I can see why because it's I I really I loved all the kind of dark humor in it. Oh yeah, it yeah the uh, I saw this um, recently in theaters actually it came to like a local theater around here um, at like a thirty five millimeter print and it was really awesome to see it like with the crowd and that's an it's another film that no matter how much time passes like seeing it from start to finish is like a real treat because. Like you said, a lot of the stuff is permeated now, like in pop culture, other references like Simpsons or what whatnot. So it feels very familiar all the time, even if you haven't seen it for a while. But just to sit down and like watch it start to finish was a lot of fun because it's like this, this whole big experience. You almost like forget certain you know little bits of the story because there's so many side characters, there's so much going on. But um, it's a lot of fun. Were there anything that, like, any characters that resonated a lot with you, like, or, or stories that you particularly enjoyed? Um, well, I, I definitely, I liked um, uh, Vincent and uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, they're, they're, really, I just, I mean, every time Samuel L. Jackson, you know, comes on screen, it's just, it's so electric. And you're just like, where did he find this guy? Because he had been working for a while, but this really kind of, uh, jump-started him, kind of kicked him into high gear as far as his career went. And, I mean, I think he was in his 40s at the time, but he's just so great in the film. And he's he's menacing, but he's funny, and he just, like, fits the role like, like, a, like a glove. Um, he, You know, Tarantino's used him a lot, like, since then, and he's said in interviews, um, he also, I think, mentioned Christoph Waltz, who's been in a few of his things recently, that he he thinks they just sing his dialogue like a glove, uh, sing his dialogue like a song, which I love, um, because he's just like the the best in that film. Yeah, absolutely, he's definitely the high point. I thought Tim Roth was was pretty interesting, even even though he wasn't in the film a whole lot. Yeah, I'm a fan of his, and I always kind of wonder why he doesn't do a whole lot more, or maybe I just haven't seen a lot of his work. But I always like Tim Roth whenever he shows up. And he, like you said, he does have a small, small little part in this, but I really like him. Yeah, there there were quite a few people that had small roles that, that I, I thought were great. Like, I I didn't I missed Christopher Walken's name in the credits, and then he's got his just like little little scene. 
his <laughs> yeah anytime he shows up he's like he's like a jeff goldblum for me like anytime chris christopher walken or jeff goldblum's in a movie I'm like this movie's not that bad right like we at least have them them to look for <laughs> they're fun um uh, i really love uma in this movie i'm i'm think that you know quentin's gave her some of her best work after this i'm a huge fan of her and kill bill as well but so I'm, I was glad to see that they both got supporting nominations because I didn't really know that. I, I wasn't 100 percent sure, like exactly what nominations this movie picked up. Besides, I knew that it won the screenplay and lost Best Picture. Well, another thing, I guess, to talk about is uh, you mentioned that you had known going in about the structure, the nonlinear structure. Um, maybe from from the viewpoint of uh, maybe not knowing or did knowing that kind of help you, do you think? Do you think it would have confused you a little bit at first or do you think it would have added something kind of different? Or I guess overall, what do you think it like added to the actual whole experience? Um, well, it, it actually, I actually thought it ended up being a bit more linear than I was expecting. Okay. Because it, it does kind of, it jumps around a little bit, but each section is fairly linear within itself. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like a, a, a Rashomon I think that's the right one uh, type story, which I love those stories. Like uh, my favorite episode, <laughs> going back to The Simpsons, uh, is is that the one that had the the uh, the three people's day, where they started with like Homer's day, and then they went back to the beginning from a different perspective. Yeah, when done right, I think it's a lot of fun. And here, I mean, we see, like, Tarantino will use that a lot later in some of his movies, and Kill Bill included. Um, I think if it's done right, it really adds, like, a whole nother layer to your viewing experience. I think with the title cards and sort of, um, you know, like, when a, a new chapter or new whatever's happening, it kind of reminds you or makes you think, like, ooh, I gotta pay attention, or, like, it entices you that like, oh, a new we're about to embark on like a new thing right now. So it's a it's a fun, almost a fun puzzle as you go um, to see how it's going to interconnect and like how the characters are going to come across each other. But I mean, I can't imagine like not knowing what to expect from this movie and then going in because even when I watched it, I watched it when I was younger, um, probably for the first time in high school. But I knew, like you said, I, you know, people had told me it was out of order and, you know, I had known certain lines and things like that. But I think this would have just hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, had not knowing any of those things. So I can't imagine seeing it when it first came out. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was like it, it's hard to kind of connect the pieces as some other movies that I've seen um, yeah. that follow the same kind of style. Like another one that rem that it reminded me of quite a bit that came out afterwards was uh, Snatch. Yes. Yeah, that's another one. That's a great movie too. <laughs> yeah, that, that was another one that that I really enjoyed. But um, And then some of the other kind of touches that, that I noticed um, while watching this movie, just kind of the, – they weren't like real – important to the storyline but just kind of things i had in the back of my head like i know that quentin tarantino has a thing for feet so i noticed a lot of the the bare feet in this movie yeah i'll, I'll notice that every time it pops up in, in any of his works i'm like you quentin tarantino you dog and i also noticed that the characters in this movie are almost constantly smoking which is something that you don't see nearly as much anymore yeah in movies and it's 
it's like they're smoking in restaurants and and my first thought is like well i can't smoke in restaurants anymore yeah that's that's a crazy thing like because it's so recent like the whole you know like smoking ban is Mm -hmm. recent and it's just it's so weird when like you said it's like such a, a jarring kind of thing to see now when you're like, oh, whoa, this is sort of dating this immediately. Um, not necessarily a bad way, but it's like, like you said, it's bizarre to see. And I also thought, like, it, it felt kind of hard to date where the movie was supposed to take place because it's, it's got a lot of, like, classic sensibilities. Like, there's a lot of 50s and 60s references, but it's, like, in... Like, obviously not set in the, the 50s or 60s, but it's it's hard to tell if it's supposed to be set in the 90s or maybe a little bit older, because it, it, it didn't feel exactly 90s to me. It, it felt like it was supposed to be almost a, like a, a recent period piece or like set in, the, in a non-determinant period in the past. Absolutely. That's, I mean, I would definitely agree with that statement. And it, I think that helps too. That's always interesting to me when uh, like a movie can do that because it helps, you know, on rewatch, obviously. And even though they do, you know, pop culture is such a heavy part of it. It doesn't feel old, like so many other things that include that um, just because of the way it's sort of handled. But I think like you said, like with all these different touches and it's hard to nail a time place it makes it feel like I don't want to say fantasy land, but it makes it feel like it's this place that doesn't like doesn't really exist. It's just sort of like this other little world that we're peeking into for you know two hour two plus hours. Yeah. Um, do, are you? Uh, what do you feel about? I guess a big topic, you know, with the movie is um, sort of the violence. Like he got a lot of uh, backlash and sort of discussion after Reservoir Dogs, which was his first movie. It was just pretty violent, and again, this one obviously. Um, is pretty over the top. Do you have any sort of, I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about violence in films in general, but I think it's interesting, especially for someone who watches a lot of superhero movies. It's a lot of times it's very different type of violence. Um, like any thoughts on, you know, I don't want to say like, do you think it's bad or good, but um, on the way it's handled, I guess you could say. Um, well, it, it definitely feels for the most part kind of stylized, like a lot of Quentin Tarantino's films are. And, and I do tend to prefer the stylized violence over the more realistic violence. Yeah. The blood and gore, it it doesn't feel like it's done so much for, I don't want to say shock value, but it's not really meant, it doesn't feel like it's meant to disturb you that much. Right. Especially since a lot of the time it's done with kind of a a comedic undertone. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, Whenever Philomar gets his head blown off, it was an accident. Right. And, and then they just have this whole just absurd conversation about it afterwards. Yeah, to me, I love I love like uh, that it's it's such a punchline almost. And and like you said, then they have this ridiculous conversation. And I think like I guess QT's sort of look on it is. Uh, this is like it's movie land violence. So, you know, the argument could be made and like we're definitely not going to get into it um, about, you know, how it affects people who watch it. But I think, you know, it is a film and he likes film and he makes all his movies very 
you know, movie land, like you said, where it's uh, got the, the comedy element to it. And it's also, you know, over, over the top to the point where, like, we know enough that it's not real, that these are, these are things happening to characters and not real people. Yeah, and, and then the other thing is just that, I mean, it, looking back on it, it doesn't seem that over, over the top compared to movies that have came out since. Yeah, I will agree as well. I think it's I think it maybe maybe started a bit of a trend with it and people kind of went crazy with it, but um yeah, it's not as nuts. I think what's I think what's more nuts in this is sort of uh the like general proceedings that happened around the violence. Like for instance, you know, like the gimp scene is so outlandish. <laughs> um but it's more outlandish just because of this concept of like what happened, like, you know, these guys just happened upon this place where you got some, you know, backwards rapists and they have like a sex slave mating, you know, you're not like a hundred percent sure. And then like the violence that kind of happens after that, it's just so, you know, over the top and, and, and pretty nuts um, as far as the situational aspect of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, on my site and on this podcast, I, I don't really do ratings, but what do you think it is about this movie that makes it a film that needs to be seen? I just think the, I mean, the big thing is like how it's impacted not only other films after that, but I think at the time and, and sort of uh, like now it's become that movie to see, but at the time it sort of changed the way people realized that like they could be viewing movies, like the realized what could be happening and the kind of things that we could be seeing. Um, and it's such a, you know, like the, the titles derive, derive from, you know, the old like pulp comics and um, somewhat noirish vibe, I guess. But it just was such, I think, a mind blow that it was a combination of just heavy, heavy style, I think. Um, not that there wasn't any substance there by, by any stretch of the imagination, but it was such a new voice. It was such a fresh thing. Um, and I think it has so much going on that it's kind of hard to ignore. So it's easy to see sort of why it was a critical like landmark and then why people would be really into it. And it's just really infectious. So I think it kind of works no matter what time frame you're watching it in. You know, if you watched it in the 90s, now, whatever, I think it's going to like hit really hard and, and still be so enjoyable, you know, years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on, on a lot of those points. I... Like I said, I I really love the movie. It's right up there with the with Kill Bill, the other Quentin Tarantino movie I, that I've seen, and uh, and I'm and I'm glad that I finally got the chance to watch it. I'm really glad you liked it. I definitely you know check out his, the rest of his filmography if you ever um, like get the itch. But that's great. That's really good that you liked it because it's you know it's one of those things where you wonder how big the hype is you know versus how the experience is going to be. But I thought that this one would, I mean, I thought that this one would certainly resonate now still. Like, I didn't think it would be something where maybe the hype has exceeded, you know, kind of the content up until now. Um, so that I'm really glad that you, you know, enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a, a real quick break, and then I will get into the movie that I had Lindsay watch for the first time. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.
We'll have an experimental episode. Nothing but silence. We'll make sounds about how we feel about the movie. <laughs> and no words. You can hear the rest of this conversation and more like it by visiting kl5film.com and checking out the podcast. Now, the movie that I had Lindsay watch for the first time is the 1998 movie Blade, which even though X-Men is credited as really the first Marvel movie that brought about kind of the second wave of superhero movies, Blade actually came out a few years before that and was really Marvel's first big box office success. It's probably not considered as much of a comic book movie just because it's more of a vampire horror movie, but it was based on the uh, the successful Blade comic book series. Even at, at one point in time, Blade has been a member of the Avengers, I do believe. I, I could be wrong about that. Um, but it starred Wesley Snipes, the height of his career, as the, uh, the, the main character Blade, who's a half-vampire, half-human, who has all of their strengths and none of their weaknesses except for their thirst for blood. And Stephen Dorff uh, plays the villain of the movie, uh, Deacon Frost, who is the, uh, the kind of half-breed vampire who sets about to resurrect the blood god. And it, it's, it's really a, a great origin movie. It, it has a lot of style. Uh, it's got some great action scenes. But let's go ahead and ask Lindsay, what what did you think about this movie? I thought it was a lot of fun. I think one of the things that you mentioned um, that I will definitely agree with was that it was, to me, it was a really good origin story. Um, that's how I felt. I didn't know that there were sequel, sequels to it um, going in, but I didn't really take it into account because you never know if sequels are just sort of like, oh, this was successful, let's make more, or if they have something bland or whatever. Um but it just it felt like a really well-rounded introduction to this to this character to Blade. Uh, and also, let me let me ask you, um, what did you know about the the movie before you saw it? Um, not much. I knew that um, it was a vampire flick, um, and I knew that Blade was like a badass fighting vampires. But I think that was pretty much, you know, the height of my knowledge <laughs> of thing about it. So yeah, I was not very familiar with the character um, or like what he did. Uh, I just knew that you know. It was a vampire-related story, which would probably probably be, um, like, one of the main reasons I probably haven't seen it. I'm not huge into that sort of, like, vampire, werewolf type thing, but I enjoy a good one. So um, when you had suggested this one, I was like, oh, good, because I've always heard, you know, good things about it, that it's, like, a, a pretty um, solid flick. So I was happy mm -hmm. I had, like, I got to watch this one. It was a nice excuse. Um I thought Wesley Snipes was maybe not the greatest, but he was perfectly suitable. Uh, I really liked uh, the actress that played Karen. I don't remember her name. Um, and Chris Christopherson was a lot of fun as Whistler. Yeah. And his character surprised me because I wasn't expecting his fate at all. So I really enjoyed that scene. Um, but uh, the action was pretty fun. It gets, like, really crazy at the end, like, in the sense that, like, it just turns into, like, you're definitely watching a superhero movie now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like the sound effects get really like over the top and things of that nature. But another thing that I liked was for the most part, now there were certainly things that weren't up to par, but a lot of the CGI kind of held up decently. It wasn't, you know, super corny. Um, I thought, you know, when the, uh, the, when the vampires would be burned, I guess you could say, 
um, when they would like incinerate that looked mm-hmm. really nice. Um, so that was good. There's only like a few kind of cheesier effects, but cause I'm a big effects nut too. So yeah, I, I thought a lot of the, uh, the special effects kind of stopped held, holding up towards the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, overall I thought it was a lot of fun and like, it made me like interested in the character to like, you know, see subsequent movies. So like, you know, I think that, I think that's the hardest part of sort of introducing some like a character most people don't know, and I think they did a really good job with it. Yeah, I I, I really think that they did a great job of introducing the character without feeling like they're introducing the character to the audience. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because like it plays out. I think um, it is like a great origin story, but. Over like first and foremost, it it is a film. You know, it's it's not. Um, here's this guy. Let me list off what he does. Let me do this. It's let this happen, and you can find out about it kind of naturally within the sequence of events. Um, and it's written by David Goyer, who did all the co-wrote all the Dark Knight movies, if I, I believe. Yeah, but he also wrote the Ghost Rider movies. He's, oh, I hear people enjoy. It. <laughs> He's a real kind of hit and miss whenever it comes to the superhero films like his good ones are amazing but his bad ones are pretty awful that's interesting to me i always wonder how does that how does that happen yeah i know um and and if you uh if you did like this one i would definitely suggest to to watch the sequel blade 2 um that was uh, directed by guillermo del toro oh okay i didn't know that yeah and and it's it's a really great sequel although i would also mention uh to skip the third one blade trinity yeah with ryan reynolds and jessica biel yeah i like them though they're both hotties (laughs) (laughs) speaking of hotties i did i thought the the main chick in this was awesome because she was super she was super fine but she was also an interesting strong character which is really nice for a woman. Like she got to do a little bit of her badass stuff and, you know, she was smart and, and, uh, you know, completely useful to what was happening. So I, I loved her character. Yeah. I think it's kind of, it's interesting that you mentioned that, but because whenever I, um, watched this movie last year, whenever I sort of saw it again from my site and did a review on it, I, I thought she was kind of a, a weaker character because I, I didn't, feel like she had a whole lot of personality as an actress um that makes sense but i guess like in comparison to a lot of other sort of like female roles in superhero movies i was glad that you know she was she was completely integral to what was happening essentially so i thought that was nice and she did get to kind of she wasn't this like weakling that was just there being captured and helping out with a lab coat. Like I thought that, you know, she had real purpose in the movie. So we can agree to disagree, but <laughs> I did like. Yeah. Especially, especially now that I've kind of been getting into some discussions about women, women characters. And I don't know if you followed the whole Merida princess controversy. I did. I did. Whenever you're comparing it to something like that, she's. It, it is great to see such a strong female role in this yeah. movie. Yeah, and and uh, it's also nice. I mean, as stupid as it sounds, I guess it's 
shouldn't even be a big deal, but unfortunately it is. It's nice that there's a black superhero or, you know, just a a black franchise character in general is pretty awesome in my book. Um, I think that there's such that weird disparity with what we like, what gets put in the cinemas and as far as what they think will do well. So it's, I, I'm glad to hear that this was like financially successful. Yeah, it it wasn't like a, a box office smash, but it was successful enough to spawn two sequels. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. I think it made around uh, 60 or 70 million at the box office, but it had a, a pretty a lower budget, like maybe around 30 million. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So does uh, I'm, does Wesley Snipes continue in all three of them, or just um, the second one, or? Yeah, it's it's Wesley Snipes in all three, and uh, uh, it may it may be a bit of a spoiler to say it, but Chris Christopherson does come back in the second movie. Ooh. <laughs> and in and in the, I think he's briefly in the third movie. I was kind of wondering because the one thing, like I did like that scene a lot because it was unexpected for me and it held a lot of weight. But I was a little bit bummed out that I was like, wait, what about the chick? Didn't she just, like, invent a serum? Can't you, like, just try that and just see if it works? I'm like, come on, Chris. Isn't there more for you to try? <laughs> I just called him Chris, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I find myself doing that every once in a while. <laughs> I'll call them by their uh, act by the actors' names instead of the characters' names. Usually more often whenever it's it's a forgettable name or it's a a character name that they don't mention much in the movie although i like the name whistler i like the name whistler too but chris christopherson is just a lot of fucking fun to say Um, (laughs) but like besides that fact i'm terrible at remembering names it's the worst habit and i don't know why i'm so bad at it but in film like it takes me for i don't know unless like it really resonates i have a hard time i'll be like what was their name after i just watched something just really bad habit uh, what did you think about the the bloodbath scene at the beginning? Oh well, I didn't really know exactly what was going on, even though I knew it was a vampire movie. Uh, and I actually watched it with a friend who had seen he's seen all of them, and he was like, "Yeah, I think you'll be into this." Um, so we were watching, and, and when the bloodbath scene starts to happen, I'm kind of thinking it's a normal rave at first. I don't know why, but <laughs> it's happening, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is totally normal. I would love this." <laughs> and my friend is just laughing. He's like, "You're being silly. Just keep watching." And then when the like uh, when the guy there's like the one guy who's kind of realizing oh shit what's going on, I was like did they just invite one human to this party? Like I feel like that's not enough to go around, but I don't think it was the purpose of what I was watching at all. It was you know a nice blade introduction, but that was actually one of my favorite action sequences I think out of the whole movie. Yeah, it really started off with a bang. I I think overall I like the first half of the movie better than the second half. Yeah, I can go with that. I can get on board with that. Because I, I like whenever it's it's just kind of like him against the vampires. Yeah, yeah. And then whenever they throw in the whole the the blood god plot line, it has it has a few good moments and it has kind of the the climax that that's kind of you kind of know where it's gonna end up at mm-hmm. the end. And then it it also kind of hurts because it it's hampered by the bad CGI effects <laughs> with the uh, the blood and the uh, the flying skeletons. 
They don't. They don't look that. The skeletons don't look that bad. The blood was pretty corny looking, but the skeletons, I, I, they won't. They weren't that bad. I'll say that. But I think it's like also the fact that like Stephen Dwarf just is like this, this like spoiled rich kid is what I get a lot from him in the movie. So I never really think he's like that much of a foe. I'm like, yeah, okay, Blade is gonna take you out in the end. Like you're gonna be fine. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like when it comes down to him, I'm just like, he'll figure it out. <laughs> I also thought that the that the whole kind of vampire camp vampire council wasn't really set up as that big of a threat that Stephen Dorff was able to take him out so easily. Yeah, yeah, I get that too. And it was kind of weird, like morally, if you were like you were like sort of on their side because you know you're really against Deacon Frost sort of like uh, defection. But at the same time, you were like, do we really like them that much? So, you know what I mean? There wasn't a whole lot of weight to whether whatever their fate was. Mm. And I also thought it was it was really refreshing that Karen wasn't really set up as a love interest for Blade. Because anytime in a superhero movie you introduce a female character, you know that that character is going to be like, the love interest in some way. I totally agree. I thought that that was a good point that you brought that up. Yeah, and and I really liked that the reason why he saved her was because she reminded him of his mother. Right, right. Uh, which, yeah, speaking of his mother, um, when she showed up, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> the yeah. weird, like, sexual tension? That was, <laughs> not, with, not so much with Blade, but her sort of, like... You just were like immediately like you are not the same person anymore, and uh, she was really really amping up that creep factor. Yeah, I, I thought that was a great choice, and and I I'd, I'd even forgotten about that. Maybe I th- was thinking that it, she showed up in a later movie, but it was kind of a, a nice little surprise for me uh, on the rewatch as well. Yeah, but thank you for that choice. That was fun. There was another a scene that. That I forgot to mention earlier that I, it's it's a really small scene. It's not really that important to the movie, but I thought it really sets a great tone, especially for an origin movie. And that's whenever he's getting his uh, supply of serum from just this like uh, antique dealer or wherever <laughs> it is, and it's just like he doesn't really explain anything about it. It's like he comes in, they. They seem to have, like, an immediate uh, rapport with each other. It's like, you can tell that they know each other. They've been working with each other for years. Yeah, and because I also liked that scene because it was sort of, um, it made, like, kind of a gray area to whether or not people know that there are vampires. Because I was wondering, sort of, when it started, like, are they kind of known to the world? You know, like, do people know that they're there? Or uh, what's the sort of thing? So I think it just... It added that little touch of, like, um, you know, maybe there are some, you know, human, like, kind of believers out there. And then they later mention um, familiars, which are, like, a different kind of um, thing that I'm talking about. But I liked that it sort of um, kind of familiarized you with the world that we were dealing with here. Yeah. And, and again, like, it it didn't shove it in your face, but it just let you know by seeing how they reacted to it all. Yeah, absolutely. Very good scene to bring up. 
one of the reasons why I I thought this was a good movie for you because it's not a typical superhero movie. It's it is a lot more of like a, an action horror movie almost. Yeah. Especially since so many of the the superhero movies that are coming out are becoming more the same. Yeah, it's a nice departure. And they're they're kind of going more into the sci-fi and PG-13. Um, and, and it's it's nice to kind of go back and, and see something that takes things a little bit differently. Yeah, nice hard R, kind of gritty, gritty take. I like that. Do you have any final thoughts about the movie? Um, like I said, great origin story. I thought that it did a really nice job, you know, feeling very organic, introducing us to Blade and kind of getting you on his side without having to know too much immediately um, and setting up sort of this good, bad uh, dichotomy. And I thought it was interesting that he was this half vampire because it's kind of brings up the whole like he's got a little bit of self-hatred, you know. Mm-hmm. because he has to combat this side of him he didn't really he doesn't really want or agree with um so i i liked you know i i think that makes him interesting as well besides him just you know getting to be a badass but uh overall the movie i think was pretty well put together and it was a lot of fun even though it was a little bit older and you know like we said some of the effects are a little dated now uh it does make me interested to see more so i'm glad you gave me the heads up about the third one but i probably will check out the second one that about does it for this episode of FilmWise. Why don't you tell us again where they can find you online and on Twitter? Oh, sure. Um, uh, again, my site is frenchtoastsunday.com. It's Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-Y. I guess I should say that. <laughs> and if you want to find me on Twitter, my own Twitter handle is L-I-N-D-S-A-Y underscore F-T-S. But I'm not on there very much, so you can just hit up French Show Sunday's Twitter handle, which is F-T-S Tweets. And I'm Bubba Wheat. You can keep up with new episodes of FilmWise on Podomatic, iTunes, or Stitcher Radio. You can also find me on my site, flightstightsandmovienights.com, and on Twitter as Bubba Wheat. I'd like to thank Lindsay for joining me today, and be sure to listen again in two weeks, where my guest will be Stefan Gagne. As always, stay tuned through the end to hear what movies we'll be watching. Until next time. Pipe bombs, utility belts, utility uh, belt. green arrow has a bow and arrow. Blessed okay. is the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's do this thing. You just sit here and wait for crime to happen? That's right. <sighs> this is so boring. Don't do it. Don't do it. What's the matter with you? Don't you recognize me? Frank is the only thing that will save me.